Hello, I am Bob Bostock. You are listening to Discover DEP, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection's official podcast. Each week, we will provide you with timely information about how DEP protects and preserves New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. Please feel free to add this podcast to your iTunes or RSS feed. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. You can download Discover DEP on iTunes and Google Play, and I'd urge you to subscribe on one of those services so that you'll never miss one of our podcasts. Today we're joined by Christina Davis of the Endangered and Non-Game Species Program within DEP's Division of Fish and Wildlife to talk about an interesting shorebird, the piping plover. The piping plover is a small bird that is on the federal threatened species list, but here in New Jersey is listed as an endangered species. While the population has been increasing overall, there's still work to be done to ensure that this small sand-colored shorebird thrives. And just recently, we've had chicks on Island Beach State Park. So that makes this particular conversation especially timely. Christina, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, Christina, tell us about this magnificent little bird, the piping plover. Well, first, I love your adjective of magnificent. I agree heartily with that description. This species is a very small shorebird that we have nesting in New Jersey. They feed primarily on invertebrates that they get down at the intertidal zone, so they're kind of picking little worms out of the wet sand there. They like to feed in the rack where there's little bugs and critters, and they also will feed kind of in the upper beach along vegetation. It's a difficult life for the piping plover because they live in an environment that is heavily influenced by people. We have developed a lot of the coast of New Jersey, and in addition to the development, we've done a lot to kind of keep that development in place, to keep that infrastructure safe from storms, from changes on the beach. Unfortunately, the piping plover's strategy is the opposite. They are a species that can handle a dynamic environment and really thrives in it. So they want storms to occur because it refreshes their habitat, makes a very good nesting um, places for them. So you kind of right off the bat have this conflict between the humans and the birds that makes it tricky for them to be able to survive. So they only nest along the Atlantic coast, nowhere else? That's correct. In New Jersey, we only have them on the Atlantic coast beaches. We have beaches on the Delaware Bay, but they are not places that the piping plover will nest. They will occasionally migrate through those areas, but they will not nest on lakes or rivers in the state, only on the Atlantic coast beaches, and only on the actual beach, so not even the whole barrier island um, do they use. We'll get phone calls and people calling and saying, I've got a piping plover in my driveway. There's one in my yard. These are not a piping plover. These are likely killdeer, which is a cousin of the plover, but the piping is only going to be on those beaches. So what is their range? Do they uh, live up and down the entire Atlantic coast from Maine down to uh, Florida? Yes, or they they, we actually have three geographic populations in the United States. There is out west the Great Plains population that's federally threatened. We have the most endangered group, which is the Great Lakes population. They're typically under 100 pairs there. That is a federally endangered population. And then we have our population, that New Jersey is part of the Atlantic Coast population. That is, as we mentioned before, federally threatened state endangered. They start up in eastern Canada for breeding, and they will breed all the way down to North Carolina. Their wintering range is very short, so you have some of these other shorebirds that make these magnificent migrations, 
Clover's not so much. Maybe a little bit lazier. Yeah, we heard um, about they're the very short. We heard about the red knots. Excellent, that goes exactly. From the yes, all the way yes. Down my co- my colleague Mandy um, on the podcast about red knot. That is not piping plover. These guys are doing short term, a uh, short distance migration. So from North Carolina down the southeastern United States into the Panhandle in Texas is primarily going to be their wintering grounds in the U.S. What we recently discovered in the last six to seven years is that a large population of the Atlantic Coast breeders are in the Bahamas, which, as you can imagine, makes for some really nice diversions for biologists in the winter months to go down and study them in the Bahamas. Yeah, that's a great uh, great benefit of studying the piping plover. Is it? <laughs> what, what does the piping plover look like? Do we see them frequently along the shore? If we're you, walking down the beach, will we see them? It's a great question. Depending on where you are, you can see them. However, people will come to us and say, I don't understand why this bird is endangered. I'm seeing hundreds of them running up and down the shore. That is not going to be the piping plover. That is more likely a sanderling. Um, birds that are much more abundant in the state than piping plovers are. They are pale very sand colored. They don't have a lot of defense mechanisms against predators. Their primary one is camouflage. So the adults are sandy colored. The chicks are sandy colored. The eggs look like little pebbles that are just laying on the beach. You can tell them apart from some of the other species because they have orange legs. They have a black headband and black around their neck and an orange and black bill. Very, very small. Um, And the chicks in particular are teeny. Um, We often describe them as cotton balls with toothpicks for legs. That about sums up the size of them when they first hatch. Uh, just recently on Island Beach State Park, there was a piping plover nest that had four eggs in it. Yep. And uh, how, how have those uh, chicks, I assume they hatched? They did. How have they turned out? So far, so good. We have a very exciting story at Island Beach State Park this year. We have not had birds nesting at that site in over 10 years, and we have not had them nesting on the ocean front there in, since 1989. So this represented a huge step forward for us in the recovery. Island Beach State Park is one of the jewels of the state, nine miles of undeveloped barrier island, um, and really should play an important role for the recovery of this species. So to have this pair here was just wonderful news for us. The nest successfully hatched. We have chicks on the beach right now. Currently two have survived out of the four, which is certainly sad that we lost two. But if we get those two to fledge, that is time to pop out the champagne. It's a very exciting period for us. So what does that mean, get them to fledge? That's a great question. So fledging means that they can fly. And it's a really important distinction in piping plover biology to understand, and particularly for folks who get frustrated with some of the restrictions, to understand the biology. Unlike other birds people might be familiar with, like blue jays or robins, once piping plover chicks hatch, the adults do not feed them and they do not stay in the nest bowl. So they are more like ducks and geese. They're very young, they can be up, they're walking they will not stay inside that fenced area that is protection for the nest. What they want to do is get down to the shoreline to be able to forage. And that's why those additional restrictions come into play. They're so tiny and so vulnerable that if you have vehicles out, if you have dogs out, it's very, very easy for those birds to get run over. And we know from past experiences that's what will happen if we don't put those restrictions into place. So tell us a little bit about the restrictions that were put into place. Okay, so these were following federal guidelines. We're very lucky to have these recommendations that the federal government has put forth as a federally listed species. And what that recommends is for um, around the nest 1,000 meters on either side of no vehicles. Again, that's a little bit tricky because the birds are moving a lot. They're not going to stay in the nest bowl, but it gives us a good starting point to make sure that we're going to be able to protect these birds. So those restrictions are no vehicles until the birds are 35 days old. 
and no dogs in that part of the beach. There is still pedestrian access, and that's something I really want to emphasize and also encourage people to take advantage of. It's not very often that you get to go down to the jetty and inlet system of Island Beach and basically feel like you have the beach to yourselves. It really provides a different kind of perspective and a different experience that I think people will enjoy. So very important to remember, it's still open to people. You can still go down and enjoy the site. So are they generally able to fly after 35 days? Yes, they can actually start taking flights around 25 days old. That's the period that we will consider them for our data management to be fledged. So that's a standard metric across the range so we can compare our data year to year. But to be feeling confident that they can fly enough to get out of the way of a vehicle, 35 days is the management date that we use for those birds. So they must grow pretty quickly. You mentioned the eggs look like a small pebble. Yes. So to go from... Uh, hatching from a small pebble to be able to fly in yep. 25 days. There must be a lot of growth in a short there time. There is, and this is another really important and interesting thing about plovers. They're just like people. They're going to all kind of grow at different rates, and we know that they grow faster and stronger when they have less disturbance. Again, those chicks are not staying put and waiting for mom and dad to bring food back. They are expending energy to forage, and if they're spending a lot of energy running away from people, from their dogs, from your frisbee game, that's time they're not spent eating and putting weight on. So if we can give them a little bit more space and a little bit less disturbance, they're able to grow faster and hit that fledge date quicker. Do we have an idea what the population of piping plovers is in New Jersey? We do. This is probably one of the most well-studied birds that we have in the entire country because of that federal species status and because they nest singly and they're in environments that are easy to observe. We have all the way down to almost a pair number that we know how many birds that we have. So just to give you a little perspective, for the Atlantic Coast population, our goal is to hit 2,000 pairs. That's what the goal was set in the 1980s when they were listed. We're at about 1,800 pairs now, which is fantastic. However, all those birds are not equally distributed around the range. You go to a place like Massachusetts, they're tripping over their plovers. They have tons of them. Places like New Jersey, we have a little bit more disturbance and a little bit more, and we have challenges. And so our population hasn't really moved forward as much as we would like, but it's certainly increased from when we first were listed, and we have held steady, which we feel really good about considering there's been even more pressure put on that habitat in the, in the 30 years since they've been listed. So last year we had about 108 pairs. We're hoping for a little increase this year. Season's still going, so we still have time to tally, but it looks like we're going to get a little bump this year, which we're excited about. So for those of us who go down the shore uh, to spend a few days on the beach, walking along the beach and, and uh, enjoying everything the Jersey Shore has to offer, what can we do from a personal standpoint to help ensure the health of the piping plover population? Well, there's a few really simple things. It's, we don't feel like we're asking a lot for people to do. And remember, a lot of these things are temporary, just for the breeding period, and we do that site by site. So when a season is complete at a site, we will take the fence down, restrictions are removed. It's not a blanket date across. So you can know that if you do see fencing, it is there for a reason, and we ask that you don't go inside of it. If you want to walk your dog on the beach, we ask that you don't do it at nesting areas. For places where there are unfledged chicks present, don't drive your vehicle there. Be careful with your trash. And keep in mind the indirect impacts that we have for this species, even things you wouldn't think of, such as feeding other wildlife that are predators to the piping plover. There is a group of predators that we call human subsidized. And that means that their numbers are in higher than normal numbers because of the fact that we're feeding them and we're creating an environment for them that allows them to thrive. So in this category would be things like red fox 
and gulls and raccoons, animals that we're either feeding on purpose by hand feeding them or they're getting into our trash. They're able to nest around our buildings and breed and raise their own families because the warmth of our buildings. So you can keep in mind these very small steps that you can take that will help ensure that this population does well each summer. What else is DEP doing to help the piping plover survive and thrive? DEP actually does quite a bit. Our program, the Endangered and Non-Game Species Program, does the heavy lifting in terms of the on-the-ground management, the monitoring, and the research. That is what we're focused on. So if you see folks out on the beach with our binoculars, putting up fencing, telling you to take your dog off the beach, that's going to be the Endangered and Non-Game Species Program. However, ENSP, as we call ourselves, is not a landowner. So any piping plover that nests on the state is not strictly under our control. And because of that, we have to work with our partners the landowners to ensure that the birds do well. Sometimes it's municipal properties and we will work with them. Other times it's state landowners, so Division of Parks and Forestry, another program within Division of Fish and Wildlife Lands Management have birds on their wildlife management areas. And so those partners, we all get together and coordinate activities to ensure that the birds will do well. Island Beach State Park has been a shining example of this. The park has done such a good job of taking on this somewhat controversial issue and really making it positive for people. They recognize, and so do we, the inconvenience that that closure is causing to some people. But we're asking in such a short time period that it's taking place, we're halfway through already, and it's not very much to ask to allow the species to do okay. Another program we work with is Division of Land Use Regulation, so that permittees that are doing all sorts of work in the coastal environment, we can ensure that they will not be adversely impacting the birds with their projects. Finally, we work with the state when we are conducting our own projects. So we work with construction and engineering to help minimize the impacts that their projects might have on this species. We're really proud of the partnerships that we've created both inside DEP and outside. It's a species that doesn't take a lot of work to protect, but takes a lot of people doing a little bit of work. And we're very happy that we have so many great partners in the state willing to take that on. Do we have some information about the piping plovers on our website? We do. If you go to the Endangered and Non-Game Species homepage, there's information there. And I'd also like to direct you to one of our great partners, Conserve Wildlife of New Jersey. They do quite a bit of work in conjunction with us, and they have excellent information on their website as well. And we will have those web addresses up with the description of this podcast when it goes live. Anything else, Christina, that uh, you, want, you want to tell me about the piping plovers before we wrap it up? I think probably just one last thing, just to answer a question that a lot of people ask us, which is, so what's so great about this bird that we need to protect it? What is it doing for us? And that's a question that has a lot of answers. If you're looking for an answer that is the piping plover is going to cure cancer, it's going to solve climate change, the species cannot do that. However, we do know that protecting this species and taking those steps will act as an umbrella for a lot of the other species that are in the coastal landscape and really for the coastal landscape itself. It will help keep that natural system intact. And we know that there's a very practical use for that. We have things like Hurricane Sandy comes through, we have nor'easters, and those intact systems help protect the mainland and the infrastructure that we care deeply about. We also know how important it is for people to get out in the natural world. There's research study after research study that shows that that has a calming effect on us, relieves stress from our lives. And to be honest, you don't really need a research study to tell you that. You take a walk on a quiet beach, there's birds calling and the ocean waves laughing, and you know that there is value to that for you. So I think that by protecting this species, what the citizens of New Jersey are saying, what all of our partners are saying, is that we do value this natural habitat. We value the natural world, and we're willing to make these small sacrifices to ensure that it stays with us. 
the way you describe the piping plover kind of reminds me of the state of New Jersey itself. We're a smaller state, but we're pretty tough and we're survivors in this state. Piping plover, the same thing. He's really got to work hard to make a go of it here in New Jersey, but the fact that their numbers are holding steady and, and will undoubtedly increase over time, uh, I think represents in a very real way the spirit of the people of this state. I could not agree more. Christina, we thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day, particularly now that the piping plover chicks are thriving and uh, moving closer to fledging and getting their wings, so to speak. Very exciting time, and we certainly would urge anyone who has an opportunity to go down to Island Beach State Park and in a careful and responsible way check out what's going on down there to, to take advantage of the opportunity to do that. This is one of those exciting events that happens in nature that if you have the opportunity to see it, it gives you a whole new level of appreciation for the interdependence of our natural world and our role in it. So thanks so much for being with us today, Christina. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.